Hello and welcome to the Pinch of Magic podcast with me, Rebecca Anuwin, and I'm delighted to be joined by another incredible guest today, Wendy Havler, author of Mistress of Longing and founder of the School of Wild and Holy. And I reached out to Wendy because I wanted to talk to her about daily practices and like the energy of devotion and bringing that into her life. And when I started reading her book about the Mistress of Longing, I was like, oh, I love this whole idea of longing and bringing that back front and centre. So we have a whole host of juicy topics. And as I was going through her book, there was loads of bits that I was picking out or titles I want to dive deeper with today. So Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So let's start then. Mistress of longing. What does that idea of longing mean to you and how did that come about in your life? Well, um, longing has everything to do with love and desire and um, trusting, Mm. I would say. And um, I feel like I'm still learning so much about the mistress of longing she actually came to me in the dream time several years ago and um, would not stop <laughs> staring with me until I woke up and wrote down what she was saying. And um, at that time, she was introducing herself to me and to all of us. Um, and since you've read the book, you know that um, there is a, a long poem in the back, mm. and that is all from her. And that was her introducing herself and saying, this is who I am, and this is what I represent. And um, I feel as though my whole life I had been preparing myself to receive her in that way. And since she arrived, I have been continuing to learn how to receive her and be with her. And so what has been your, I guess, like the biggest lesson, but also the biggest opening expansion delight of welcoming like that, that energy of longing back into our life? Because I love in the book that you touch about how we, we've been taught not to stay true to our own de- dreams and desires, how we prior been taught to prioritise other people or to be compassionate towards other people. And it's almost like, um, I think the words you use were like abandon yourself. I would say it's like a betrayal of self. So when we have that longing, I often associate like that, that idea of longing for something as something that's out there, that's something we might make time for when everything else is sorted. So how did you navigate like bringing that, that longing, that desire back front and centre of your own life? Mm. Such a beautiful question. Well, the way that I think I um, would relate to longing in this moment, because Mm. it does sort of seem to shift um, in many ways over time and depending on um, where I am in relationship to myself and to my desires and to all of sort of the parts and pieces of me that make up this constellation or territory that is 
that is Wendy, that is me. And, you know, I would say the same for you and anyone who is listening to us. Um, to long is to is to have a sense of being far away from. Mm. So looking at like a length um, of time and space in relationship to what's really calling us back to ourselves. And um, absolutely that, that sense of in my own life, there have been so many ways I have abandoned myself and what has felt right and congruent and in alignment with who I am and how I want to express myself in the world, um, what my wants are, what my mm. heart is speaking, um, how my soul wants to express even through this particular human form. Um and really, one of the the biggest, most poignant ways she really sort of tapped on my shoulder when she came was helping me relate to my own sexuality and um, spending, you know, the first 50 or so years of my life in a very heteronormative um, experience. And the truth is that for many, many years, I longed. Mm -hmm. um, to be with women and to have that experience. And, um, there was a sort of permissioning process that became really relevant and sort of, um, what I might refer to as my reverence point, mm -hmm. um, as far as, okay, who am I now and how do I connect to myself? now um and what needs to happen in my life in order for me to come back home to myself um yeah i love that phrase come back home to, to myself because a lot of the people that i've interviewed over the last like month or so that phrase keeps coming up again and again isn't it it's like that real like delicious energy of like coming back home to yourself because for too long we've been away and I always think it sounds really silly, doesn't it? Because it's like, of course, we're home in our bodies. It's who I am. But it's like, no, conditioning, cultures, expectation, judgments can just nudge us away from ourselves a little bit, a little bit, a little bit that we don't even notice until, like you say, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You're like, hang on a minute. Uh, I think <laughs> right. I wanted to be over there. So yeah. how do you start that process? Or rather, what was like your your moment when you went, okay, enough? I, I, who am I? And then how do you start that process of going, oh my gosh, I'm 50 miles away from where I wanted to be. How do you then start? Because I mean, it's like a whole identity. It's a whole life that's been set up. I mean, it's whether it, you know, for you, it's your sexuality. For many people, it's lots of other areas also, but it's so mm -hmm. much become a part of who you are. How do you then go, okay, I'm just going to burn all this down and sometimes stuff needs to get burned down that's not a negative mm -hmm. thing but to get back to yourself I mean that's a huge undertaking it takes such courage and bravery what was your moment to go okay it is that's what I have to do and how did you start navigating that process because I know that there'll be loads of people listening that are like oh my god I recognize that so what, yeah. what was it for you 
I think that it was really being radically honest with myself mm. and um, really, you know, again, that, that coming home scenario of like feeling what my body was telling me, listening to the prompts that were happening in my body and trusting the exquisite navigational tool mm. of belonging and how it was showing up. I, I had the great good fortune of actually being at a women's retreat when I really sort of had the, okay, enough. Now, now I'm going to belong to myself the way that I have longed to for all of these years. And there was something so freeing in being able to be um, in, you know, the sort of sacred container that that a retreat is in a beautiful place where I was literally shedding clothes because we were, you know, we were in Costa Rica, we were in the jungle, and um, there was a way that I was getting to listen to my body and allow the shedding to happen. And while that can sound very poetic, it, it was indeed um, really scary and mm. really terrifying to notice the the feelings and sensations that were coming up in my body and reminding myself that I could actually just be curious and trust myself just in that moment that I didn't have to know exactly how everything was going to shift you know, mm. and the trajectory of my life, but that in that moment I could say, okay, so I'm having this experience right now in this moment. How can I meet, how can I meet it? How can I meet myself? You know, and then taking the next radical leap that comes from that, but really in, in bite-sized pieces through that self-awareness and that radical honesty, which then led me to um, some pretty major truth telling um, with my husband at the time. And, um, and the whole life that I was living began to start unraveling. And then the trusting myself to just keep staying with staying with mm. each moment. Um, and I feel like I would be really remiss if I did not say, you know, I had the great good fortune as well to have a lot of support to, you know, have um, a therapist that I absolutely loved and um, a circle of wisdom keepers and my own spiritual practices and, um, my devotional practices that were sort of holding me in this container of the unknown that was incredibly scary um, yeah. and and incredibly sacred at the same time. That's probably a really good way to start talking about like our own sacred practices because I think I mean, I've shared this before, but I think it's something that we are missing a huge amount in like our culture right now. Many people have turned away from religion and I understand why. <laughs> but with that came 
ritual. It came a way like if you were going through major upheaval, you'd have a community to turn to. You know, you'd have um, rituals, you'd have prayers, you'd have, you know, rites of passage to see you through transitions. And we don't have that so much anymore. And I think it's reclaiming ritual for ourselves, reclaiming the sacredness of ourselves and our own sacred practices, I think is a hugely powerful thing that we can give ourselves. And like you said, you know, they're a way of holding ourselves. So even if everything else is going a bit crazy around us, it's like we can still anchor into our practices. So what did what did your practices look like or how important have your practices been in helping you to navigate that change you went through? I am so grateful for my practices because I really think that they saved my life actually in moments, you know, what I might call my, um, you know, down on my knees moments when everything was falling apart and, and, and I was moving through times of great grief and deep despair, um, Mm. being able to, have ritual, have daily practices were the ways that I could orient myself um, to myself during a time of great chaos and and the unknown. So it was it was a way of having an experience of knowing something and being able to lean on something that that felt really familiar and really grounding and anchoring like oh right here i am i can bring everything that i know into the places that i don't know and that feel mm. really big and scary um and also reminded me that I could devote myself to something so much bigger than me. Like I'm just me. And through the veils, there is this whole unseen world that is holding me, that is lighting the way, that is walking with me, that is, you know, enlivening different aspects of myself and my medicine and helping to carry me through. Um, and so in that way, there was something about being devoted to my practices that, that was like a form of liberation because I could place my gaze on the things that, that I knew, Mm. um, and also be free in the sense that I, I could believe that I was being tended to that I wasn't doing it all on my own. And that in fact, I wasn't really supposed to know anything. Um, I'll share with you that uh, the mistress of longing once came to me and said, um, this was after I had written the book. She gave me a sort of mantra, or I might even call it a prayer that Mm. I remind myself of over and over again. And she said, know nothing and be open to everything. Stand at the beginning, know nothing and be open to everything. I love that. For someone who 
I do too. For someone who has sort of grew up feeling like I was supposed to show up in a particular way and have it together and know everything. Um, yeah. It's really nice reminder. Yeah. And I think in, in my practice, when, when I see my clients, one of the biggest things that comes up, even if people deny it to start with, it's that energy of control, like fear of not being in control. And when you say no, nothing, it steps you into that beginner's mind of not assuming it's going to work out a particular way, which can be scary and also yeah. incredibly liberating. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about your your practices, that you know you had something to lean on, and it's just like that's why we practice. Yeah, you know, they're called practices because they need to be practiced like regularly, exactly. so that when you need them, they're already there, established, waiting to hold you. And of course, yeah. if you need them and you haven't started anything, then is the best time to start. <laughs> and, but it's that's like right. we do those practices so that when we come up against those challenges. We do have that anchor to hold on to, that light in the darkness, just to go, oh, there it is. So what yes. do what do your practices look like? Because I know that you talk about devotion. It, are your practices devotional practices? Do you separate devotional practices from your spiritual practices? What does that look like um, in, in practice for you, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually? Mm-hmm. Thank you for this wonderful question. Um, it feels like a feast um, <laughs> of a question. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, definitely my practices have changed so much over the years. Um, and I would say that, and it's really interesting because I can see and really feel into even how the School of Wild and Holy is um, a mirror in many ways of, of the practices. So I am a poet. Um, if I could only, uh, I often say if I could only, you know, claim one part of me, um, it would be that, that I am a poet and I consider myself a bhakti poet, a devotional poet Mm. and one who is, writing poet poetry that's inspired by sacred experiences. Um, and so poetry is a practice for me, um, whether it's writing a poem or going through sort of my catalog of poems, because I have many that are, are waiting to be housed in, in their own little covers. Um, you know, sometimes there's a line that will just sort of pop into my mind that can become a practice of bringing that awareness into the daily practice. So, so poetry is definitely a form of a practice, but I would also say that most days and not every day, and I really like to preface that because we are humans here we like get to have the experience of some days we don't practice, you know? So I, I do try to um, give myself a little kindness and gentleness on, on the days when I don't. Um, But over the years, building the practices, as you were saying before, have created such, 
such a raft for me that I know that if I step into it in some way, even the smallest way on a particular day, it's super helpful. But, um, you know, as a shamanic practitioner, um, I get my rattle out, I get my drum out and, um, I, I love to rattle and drum and sing and, and just start, uh, making offerings to the land where I live and the well and wise ancestors of the land and to all of my helping spirits and my own well and wise ancestors. Um, and, and really going in and, um, sharing a a beautiful invocation that is a way for me to center myself sort of in the circle with this numinous world that, that I engage with. Um, And in doing that, I feel deeply supported and I, I feel like I'm uh, like a savings account or something of, (laughs) Each each day, planting seeds of knowing that um, that help is there. Yeah. Um, every time I I get to move through that, um, I also have other practices that I do. Just depending on the day and what's going on, the timing. I do a lot of candle ritual and bringing the light in. I do a lot of altar work. Um, so it and meditation work, breath work, it just sort of depends. Yeah. I love the, the day. Yeah, I love the phrase you use then, well and wise ancestors. I'd not heard mm-hmm. that before, but that's like a really beautiful kind of segment of ancestry. Because I know a lot of times people are like, Oh, I don't want to connect with my ancestors. I didn't like them, <laughs> you know, particularly yeah. of like the bloodline that might be the closest. But but by, by, by saying the well and wise ancestors, it's like, oh, <laughs> maybe get to bypass a few people that maybe you didn't get along the most with. Um, so how did yeah. you come across that kind of like idea of well and wise ancestors? And like for maybe people that would love to connect with the well and the wise or with their own spirit team to have them around them it's like how did mm-hmm. how did that start as a process for you and how do you recommend people kind of connect in with that energy for themselves mm. well I think that I could probably sort of scroll back in my mind to a few different teachers that brought that concept forward for me um, I would say that one of my primary teachers Uh, shamanic teachers, Julie Kramer, um, really introduced that concept to me um, a little over three years ago um, in a way that I really developed my own practice with it. And that is um, working with my well and wise ancestors I know that I carry a particular chalice with them and they want my life to go well. Mm. And, um, and so bringing gratitude to them for the medicine of theirs that I carry and knowing that they're, they're, they're sort of holding space. They're holding a particular 
container for me and my life, um, really wanting to acknowledge that I, I carry their lineages and their medicine within me, and I want to honor it um, and really thank them for their presence and the ways that they're sort of rooting me on um, in various ways. And, and that isn't to say, um, however, that I don't work with um, ancestors who might not be so um, well and wise at this time. Um, I, I definitely have shamanic practices where I do get to engage with those ancestors who are feeling deep unrest and lost and confused and who are suffering a great deal. Um, and I work with them um, in a different in a different way. And I also acknowledge them and their suffering and um, hope to be able to uh, help them find their own healing stories when when the time is right when for them. Um, I don't think that that's always necessarily my business, but um, yeah, so all of that just to say that it does really feel like in all of our lineages, each and every one of us, we have those well and wise ancestors who are holding those really steady, beautiful sort of glowing roots for us and they want our lives to go well. And so what a blessing to know that we have them. And I just had this like lovely image of like you like drumming them and honoring them and like expressing gratitude to them. And it's just like having your own cheer squad around you, isn't it? It's like knowing that you we might be alone in person, but actually we never actually have to be that kind of alone. It's like we can always reach out. And I just love that term, well and wise. It just feels so expansive and vibrant rather than not knowing. <laughs> Especially I think when you yeah. step into like the mysteries and there is a, a lot that has taken on faith and trust and not having the concrete, tangible information that we love so much as a Western society. And it is like yeah. having that well and the wise or for your highest loving good. And it's just like framing the kind of people that you invite into your energetic space into your life with terms like that I think can be very reassuring particularly for people starting out on this path going oh I don't want to do anything wrong or calling the wrong people but it's like well and wise or for your highest loving good I just think they're just lovely phrases that can anchor us into feeling safe to explore exactly yeah, as we step into like I love that you use the term that it's like a psychotherapist both in with like mysteries and miracles and that's it isn't it it's like practical and the veil yes. and it's like we yes. get to have both in this world yeah mm -hmm. so it's like we get to anchor and feel safe and drift off <laughs> and find out who's there supporting us at the same time absolutely you used a phrase that I really loved and I saw this on your website actually and I'm going to give you the phrase I saw on your website I'm not sure if it was a blog post or maybe 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 it's a service you offer actually, and it was locating um, a living heal sorry locating and living a healing story, and you used the phrase healing story a moment ago and I thought oh that's such a lovely term because it's like the energy of being active isn't it it's like 
the potential is in there. So speak to me about like either the phrase like locating and living a healing story or what like a healing story represents to you. Mm. Oh, so I'm um I, I feel as though I'm getting to acknowledge um my teacher Julie um a oh. lot today and I <laughs> Welcome, love Julie. that so much. It feels <laughs> yeah like she's here with us and um that feels so beautiful. Um, I learned that phrase from Julie as well, a healing story. And um, one of the ways that I work and have been trained as a shamanic practitioner is that um, I'm always looking for the healing story, you know, um, of, of what medicine is sort of rising up to meet us in each moment um, and with whatever challenge um, has been sort of percolating and whatever is being unraveled, there is a healing story there. There is something that allows us to perceive our wholeness. I, I actually believe that we are whole. And we are holy. There is really nothing to fix. There is nothing broken. Um, And the word healing in and of itself comes from, you know, to be whole. And um, actually, I'm thinking back to another teacher that um, from a Tibetan Buddhist lineage who, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who taught about a concept that he termed brilliant sanity. And in many ways, a healing story is, is like brilliant sanity. It's that um, even if we're looking at maybe behaviors or patterns that we learned as children, we learned them because they brought sanity into our lives. So there's something brilliantly sane about something that we learned to do Mm. to protect ourselves or something like that, um, that, you know, maybe when we begin taking it apart and looking at it, we realize, oh, I don't really need that, that pattern anymore, but I can so understand now. Yeah. The origination point of why I would adapt or who would have taught me that to help me feel safe yeah. in the world. And so for me, a healing story is very much that orientation, that locating the sacredness, the wholeness that is right here, that's been here all along and being able to uncover it even more so that we can walk with that part leading us. Um, And so a healing story can come from a soul retrieval or um, a curse unraveling or um, a really good crying session or, you know, a a, a piece of art um, and offering to the land um, can be a healing story. There are just so many ways, but, um, and I think that we are walking healing stories so kind of like a remembering as we just take off the layers Mm. and the layers of the of the 
almost like the protection stories, the identity stories, rather than the actual whole stories, the the you know the wholeness, the healing stories. Um, I love that protection stories. <laughs> that's what they are, though, aren't they? And it's like we Truly. go through life with barriers and I, I I call it porcupine energy it's like keeping people <laughs> away or even keeping the things yes. we want away because we're so afraid of what might happen if we get them or the change like for you you know like the changes you have to make when you're when you are honest and it's like I, I absolutely believe like honesty is one of the most powerful that truth rather is one of the most powerful forces in the world because once you know truth you can't unknow it that experience you had in Costa Rica, it's like you could come back and pretend, but you always know you were forever changed by that moment of truth. And in that moment, you had two choices. You could pretend or you could be honest. One is honest and re- revering yourself and one is a betrayal. And it's like so many times people are like, I'm going to do it. And then we don't. And understandably so. It's freaking hard. <laughs> you know, yes, it, it is. is especially if you don't have the right support in place. Um, But it's also really hard not to walk that path of truth because it's like, it is like drinking that poison, isn't it? It's like, it just takes you further and further away. And I love that idea of like the wholeness of who we are. And it's like, yes, wild edges, people. We are not, I always use the phrase monocrops. We're not here to be monocrops. We're here to be the weeds and the sunflowers and the daisies and the trees and the shrubs, all of the things. Mm. So something else that I saw on your website (laughs) as I was researching for this thing is, again, I think pretty sure this was a blog post. And I just love the phrase, trust your wild. Mm-hmm. How do we but be- how do we begin to trust our wild? Because there's two things people are quite scared of. They don't know how to trust themselves because for so long we have put our belief, our trust in other people because it feels a safe thing to do. And we don't have to take responsibility if someone else has told us to do it. Um so it's a little bit playing out there. But also we're a bit afraid of wild as well, because it's like that raw, untamed power. So what is the wild mean to you and how do we how do we begin that process of trusting our wild oh my gosh another juicy question um mm. how do we trust our wild well even how do we start by connecting to it before we can begin to trust it yeah how do we know what that is i mean what's coming up for me in this moment as i'm sort of looking inside it's like what are the places what are the ways that I've been hiding parts of myself um because more than likely um I think most of us are walking around hiding huge chunks of ourselves um probably because of course not (laughs) you're right (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying that. <laughs> just on the off chance. I haven't experienced that. Um, yeah, like, you know, um, we have been, and our, many of our ancestors, and we, we come from, many of us have had the experience of having to be domesticated. So to even ask ourselves, what in the world 
does wild mean? It's like, whoa. Ouch. Right? Be- yeah, because no, we have been. We have been. Have, we have been domesticated. I don't, I, we have been so domesticated. I'm all about embracing the wild, but I hadn't thought about the opposite of that meaning. To break away from that, we've been domesticated, just yeah. like a cow. You know, it is. It's like, yes. this is the role you play. This is how you behave. This is how you get a like, little scratch behind the ear. Yes. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Ooh. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's huge. <laughs> mm. I mean, you just named it and and pegged it. Um, So I feel like it's first, how do we start really getting curious about Mm. the parts of ourselves we've been hiding um, that we have tamed? You know, another teacher of mine, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote Women Who Run With the Wolves, she talks about this all of the time. You know, we have lost our wildness. We have... Um, we're, we're not even sure how to relate to ourselves other than as these sort of domesticated, trapped beings. And so in some ways, it's as simple as, well, it's not simple, but it's just beginning to get curious. What am I hiding and why? Yeah. Did I tell a little white lie the other day to that friend? And why? Like, why did I feel the need to do that? Did I really get the scratch behind the ear that I wanted for that? What what part of myself am I abandoning? Am I rejecting? So we can go back again to even looking at how am I rejecting myself? Where am I stifling myself? Where am I not speaking up or saying the things? Um. And what turns me on in my life? And I don't mean that just sexually, although, of course, it can include that. But what are the things that I feel drawn to? What are the things that I notice I'm aching for and longing for? And what if I trusted that sensation so much that I actually followed the cues of it and then maybe even starting to notice how my wild nature starts to reveal herself to me I love what you just said a moment ago because I I I have a huge belief it's the little things that make the biggest difference Mm. and you just said what was the little lie you told? And I was like, that's the key, isn't it? Because it's really easy to justify the little lie. Oh, it was fine. It was just, it wasn't worth the trouble right now, or it'll just keep the peace or excuse, excuse, excuse. And we can justify it because it's tiny, but it's kind of like a stalactite or a stalagmite, whichever one you want, but drip 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 and it's like a death by a thousand paper cuts that tiny little drip in the ceiling over thousands and thousands of lines suddenly becomes a great big stalactite hanging down and like solidified and anchored there and it's like that's it though isn't it so when we can when we start justifying the little moments and we just turn a blind eye or we just get a little bit annoyed or a little bit frustrated but if we actually ask ourselves but why did you feel the need to like? I mean, you still do it for the moment if it makes you feel safe and if it is going to do all the things that you justify it as. But then later that day, ask yourself, but why? What was I 
feeling ashamed about? What was I hiding? What didn't I want to share? What am I ready not to share? And I just think by asking those questions, the curiosity comes up and we get the answers. Because again, it comes back to that that idea of truth. The truth is so powerful. We know when we lie. It's, It's like, of course, I lie to my little boy about Father Christmas. I do. I justify that because it's fun, <laughs> but I don't lie about lots of other things. Um, yeah. And we all do it and we all have done it, but I think it's important to understand why. And some of those lies are the Christmas. You might be able to justify and be completely okay with that. Mm-hmm. And some of the lies you might be like, oh, hang on a minute. That actually isn't okay. Actually, it was a little bit of me that kind of died along with the truth right because if we if we are our own sort of sovereign territory Mm. if we can look at ourselves as as a country as a um you know as a landscape that we completely fill out if we can go in and find out yeah where like what part of me needed that little lie and uncovering uncovering and getting to that part that's a reclamation that's a reclaiming a part of our territory a part of our sovereignty scooping that little part up it's probably a younger part of us mm-hmm. you know that learns like you better not do that because the you know you're going to be losing some support safety idea of love that you learned whatever it is scooping that part up and saying it's okay you get to use your voice you know and um really allowing all of that to be there i think that that's when i think about what it means to trust my wild there are no parts of me that i want to extricate or uh, banish yeah I want all of me right here Um, because the land of me actually knows the ecosystem of me knows how to hold all of these parts the trees and the different kinds of weather and the rivers and the waters and the drought and all of the things and I don't know there's something about like trusting myself that when something is revealed it might take me the rest of my life and that's okay but how can I just be curious about the wildness of that of that thing that's ready to be seen and known and understood and no longer wants to be silent I was just thinking it's like one of the things one of the questions I get asked most by people is how do I trust myself Rebecca And my answer is always, you become a person of your word. You stop lying to yourself. Because when we lie, we don't trust people that lie. And so, of course, when we lie, we know we've lied and then we stop trusting ourselves. And again, drip by drip by drip. Suddenly we have an intuition and inspiration. We're like, oh, yeah. And then we're like, "Mm, I'm not sure because we don't trust it. Because we don't trust ourselves, because we don't trust people that lie. And it's like that whole thing coming back round again to truth. And it's like, how do you start this journey? How do you really connect to your truth? Notice the lies. You know, not 
not the big whoppers. <laughs> you can't trick yourself out of those. You know that's a lie. But the how are you? I'm fine. Okay, maybe in that moment you didn't want to break down and cry and an, I'm fine, it was okay. But later on, to ask yourself, why did I feel the need to lie then? What was it about breaking down that was so awful that I thought I would be unloved, rejected, judged, compared with someone else that stopped you from doing that? And I think it's just like you said, asking those questions, becoming curious just opens up that whole doorway. And again, I loved what you said. It's like, it might take your whole life to do it. It's not that you have to blow up your entire world in that moment, but just just as much as we drip by drip by drip away from our truth, we can drip by drip by drip, come back into alignment with our truth. Mm -hmm. And it can be as gentle as you allow it to be. It doesn't have to be hard work. Thank you, capitalist world, for making us believe anything worthy has to be hard work. But it doesn't have to be, does it? Because like, you know, the longing, the desire, the passion, you know, again another blog post of yours (laughs) you could tell you're a poet i was going through going oh my god the writing is beautiful like release release pretending and just love what you love and just give yourself that permission to love what you love how did your world change when you started to embrace your wild and give yourself permission to love what you love or in your case love who you love too um you know it's like Mm. what was like the biggest impact that had on your life in in a really positive like expansive way I think that I created space in myself to actually live in my medicine because there was a way that I was turning toward myself that I could actually embody more of my medicine and why I'm here. So it, it amplified the, um, the wholeness in every area of my life. Every area of my life shifted as mm. a result of me reclaiming myself and it continues to do so in ways that I could have never expected I love that and that's I think that's the gift of walking this path in ways that you could never have expected so we're very good at like doom mongering and going oh yes. but I can't do it because of x y and z or this person's going to be disappointed or there's going to be heartbreak and grief and all of these things and that's true And of course, all of that can be very, very painful. And we just step into something so much more amazing that we can't even imagine it. So here's a question for you. I'm going to assume I know the answer, but knowing what you know now, do you wish you'd taken the other path? Oh, no way. Yeah. (laughs) No. I assume that was the answer, but I think sometimes people need to hear that and it's like, throughout all the pain, the grief, the breakdowns of all the things in your life. It's like, I don't think I've ever met anyone that's like, oh my God, I wish I'd, I wish I'd stayed where I was. I have been more alive in these last years since I've, since I've made those changes and, and walked that truth. I've felt more alive. Mm. Um, yeah. 
Beautiful. It's been incredible. Okay, two more phrases from your book. <laughs> Sorry, not from your book. Okay, from your I website. love it. I'm like, I'm I like, love it. <laughs> <laughs> you said, and I think this very much touches on what we're talking about right now, is like build an altar to what you love. What does that, what does that mean? Or what, what, how have you embodied that in your life? Because I just love that idea of like, you know, I have altars all over the place for, for various devotional purposes. And I suddenly went, oh my gosh, to build an altar to what you love. And it's like, yeah, of course I love the things I have built altars to, but it's never been just one purely for like love, desiring. You might like add in the word longing there. And it was just like, oh, I like that. So what, what has that looked like in your own life? Well, I think that life is always holding a mirror up for us, um, helping us to see what we what we're not seeing or what we need to see. And I think that with the ways that we might hide from ourselves, the ways that we might refuse ourselves, um, I think that it's really important to create a mirror for ourselves so that we can actually place our gaze upon mm. what is true so that we can make contact and actually bring reverence to what we love so that we can see ourselves in that way as well because it's showing us who we are, who we're becoming, the ways that we're wanting and longing to express ourselves and have experiences in this, you know, one wild and precious life, as Mary Oliver would say. So why not build an altar mm. to what we love so that we can keep our gaze there and kind of drink that in, feast on that nourish ourselves with that like a remembering and a reminder on the days we need it <laughs> yeah and to hold us as as we're stepping into that we're going to be experiencing sort of nourishment barriers if you will in all of the ways that that maybe we need to shift some behaviors or thoughts or relate to things differently um and so we might be experiencing some 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 difficult times or challenge around that as we're stepping into this beautiful thing. So let us hold on to something beautiful. Let us hold on to something that we love while life is still happening in other ways. While we're sort of walking through the unknown, we can you know, bring what we know with us. Isn't that one of the funny things about life? We can have a massive, I don't know, transformation, breakthrough challenge, and the whole world just carries on as if nothing's happened. And like our whole world has been rocked one way or the other. And like, say you look around and it's like, oh, life is still going on. The dog needs walking, the kids need collecting. You know, it's right. just like, it just carries on. And it's like your whole world is just like, pivoted and so to have that space it's like oh just somewhere to hold yeah I love that yeah. mm. 
okay, this is doesn't quite fit in with what we're talking about right now, but it is something where you opened the book and you used the phrase, um, be the face of the earth. Mm. You use this like in the opening of your book. And I just, I love that. I'm, I'm sure it all fits in somehow, but talk to me about how you become the face of the earth. Again, it's, I guess it's like that, that mirroring effect, isn't it? But I love that you're asking that because I'm still asking that mm. question. And um, well, well, where did the share... phrase come from for you? Yeah. yeah. Well, so interestingly, that came through um, in a dream as well. And so before the Mistress of Longing introduced herself to me as the Mistress of Longing, I believe that she actually introduced herself to me several months before in the form of a butter lamp. And I had this dream where that that poem was gifted to me. That is not my poem. And all I knew is that it came from a butter lamp. And that is, be the face of the earth. Don't hold back. Be the face of the earth. This is creativity. I want to show you, light me. So like this whole massive instruction in this tiny little poem. So I still find myself often thinking, what does it mean to me today to be Mm. the face of the earth? And what I come back to over and over is that there is a way in which I I want to bring reverence to my relationship to the earth, which also includes myself, because we're all part of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I can see myself as being her face, how would I honor myself? How will I honor her and how will I honor the well and wise ancestors of the land where I live, the land where you live and the land of my body where I live? How can I, again, be sort of this sovereign territory of who I am in relationship to your sovereign territory? And um No, no, I also love so much that it's linked to this idea of a butter lamp, which is this, um, you know, vessel for devotion and bringing the light in. Illumination, yeah. Illumination, exactly. And how is that connected to our creative capacity? Um, Even a kiss can be an act of creation. So how am I using everything if I am the face of the earth to bring this illumination into the world? As you were talking there, I was reminded of, I don't know if it comes from a poem or a saying, but it's um, like all of the waves think they're separate, but they're part of the whole ocean. Mm. And it's like that with the be the face of the earth, isn't it? It's like to remember that we're part of an expression of the earth, that we are all in fact nature. I know that, and I'm very, as I say, many, many times on this show, 
I'm very grateful. I live in a centrally heated house. I do live in the UK after all. You know, I'm glad that I can drive my car. I mean, I love yeah. like technology. We're talking right now. But because of that, we forget that we are nature. You know, the ebbing and the flowing, the growing, the blooming, the reviewing, the digesting, the, you know, the like dying. the resting. Yes. Yeah. And then we come back again, like every single day with every single breath, with every cellular thing that's happening in our body. It's just like all of that. And it's like we are connected to that. We are the face of the earth. We are that that wave within the ocean. And I was just like, I just want to like so many things. When I was going through your website and your book, and I was like, oh, that phrase pops. Oh, that phrase. And it's like, it's really, it's really, really beautiful. But yeah, that being the face of the earth, I was just like, oh, I know it didn't quite fit in, but I was like, oh, I need to ask you about that because it's just like such a a powerful remembrance of connection, I think. And to that face is almost like this is how we show ourselves to the world as the wild, raw power of nature that's sometimes yes. tranquil and quiet and sometimes it's raging. And it's like we're right. allowed that to for us too because sometimes wild means quiet. You know, right. and then sometimes wild means absolutely the opposite. Um, right. <laughs> but it's like what it means for you in that moment. Yeah. Mm, that truth telling moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Wendy, where can people come and find you to learn more, to find your book? Obviously, everything is in the show notes, but where where's your favorite place to hang out? Are you a social media person? Are you a newsletter on your website person? Where's the best? I would say there's two places to come and find me. You can always go to my website, which is shegathersbeauty.com. Or you can find me on Instagram under the same handle, shegathersbeauty. I do have a newsletter and um, I don't have a lot of um, rhyme or reason uh, lately, just because there's so much going on as to, um, when those love letters go out. But, um, if you are on my newsletter, you'll hear, um, new offerings first, as well as on Instagram. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for sharing your, your longing and your wisdom. And of course your poetry. Mm, Thank you so much for having me. This has been really beautiful. You're very welcome.